Welcome back to another episode of the Coach's Corner Podcast. Today's episode, I've been juiced up excited because I'm going to be a little bit selfish in this episode because this is really all about delegation, finding assistance, and really solving that burnout slash I've got all these things to do, but I don't have enough time doing them problem. Today's show, we got Tim Francis on. How are you doing, Tim? Very, very good. How are you, Lucas? Appreciate you having me here. This is awesome. So, so we were just chatting about it. I'm just like, hey, how do you want to start this? And Tim's like, hey, let's start with three quick tips. So I'm literally just going to roll with it. And what are three quick tips when it comes to assistant, VA, delegation, uh, that entrepreneurship and that burnout thing that people fall into? 100%. So the very first thing is do not use email to delegate to your assistant. Email is a wasteland of distraction for you and for your assistant. If you think you're distracted, your assistant is just as distracted. So use a different platform whether that's going to be Slack or Convo or some other, even a WhatsApp channel, honestly, will be better than email. Email is a horrible idea, horrible for productivity. So don't use email when talking to your assistant. Um, secondly, writing everything else out for your assistant is very slow. And so I love a tool. Lots of people know about it. It's called Loom. It's a plug-in for your browser. You can just record yourself. You can also narrate. And just like the saying goes, a picture's worth a thousand words, so too can a Loom video be worth a thousand written words. And uh, really powerful to get a lot of information across quickly to your assistant. So I highly encourage you to use Loom. It's free. Download it, plug in for Chrome, off you go. Third question, uh, third strategy, I get asked all the time, what should I pay for an assistant? And in my lifetime, I've hired assistants from the Philippines for $4 an hour in India and all manners of overseas countries. And then I've also hired domestically in the United States and Canada and uh, hired for as much as $5,200 an hour for different like tech specialists and whatnot. And uh, I'm telling you, you can get an incredible assistant coming out of corporate America or professional America or Canada for that matter uh, for just $18 to $21 an hour. And these are people who are like former project managers at Coca-Cola or a former paralegal at a busy law office. These are talented people. And yes, they're excited to work from home for 18 to $21 an hour for entrepreneurs just like you and I. So those are my very three quick strategies. And if if uh, someone only had a couple of minutes to listen to this episode, hopefully they got something out of it. So awesome. So, so and, and hopefully, just to hook your attention a little bit more, if you feel like, and, and I know we're going to get into this topic, if you feel like, ah, oh, that's, I waited way too long, Tim, like full disclaimer, mm-hmm. I waited way too long until Craig Ballantyne, who was on the podcast, challenged me. He's like, dude, what are you doing? Mm. Do this. And it was actually a podcast with him that he mentioned it. And then I got I'm like, let me just delegate the first thing, then the second thing. And I, I should have done it much earlier. So if you're in a position listening right now that you know that there's a better way to do something or you've got things that maybe aren't in your superpower or that are really draining your energy and they should be simpler than they are, but you procrastinate and put them off, I truly feel that this episode will be of, of value to you because we're going to start right from the beginning of what are some of the first things and how could you kind of dip your toes into it if you haven't done it yet or how can you optimize, like you said, the communication with the assistant so it's not lost in communication? Because I know that's a mistake I probably still make. I think I understand what I said, and it makes sure. sense to me. And they're just like, but they're trying to be cool and understand, and uh, it's a mess. So when it, just a little bit of background on you, Tim, so, so people know who we're talking to. I know you've founded a few companies, um, but it seems like the central mission of what it is you do is, at the end of the day, assistance. We can even go into the systems, entrepreneurship, burnout. I kind of read your website and you were throwing away a lot of those words. But what is it fundamentally that you're doing now? So uh, let's talk spiritual and then specific. So spiritually, um, I drank a lot of the Kool-Aid for a lot of years about getting rich and having a six-figure business and a seven-figure business and all the rest. Um, and um, I read the 4-Hour Workweek and Rich Dad Poor Dad, all the books. And I tried hiring overseas for $4 an hour and it just failed over and over and over again. Um, in 2008, um, I had multiple houses in the collapse. I lost hundred thousand dollars of other people's money and my, my own personal residence went upside down by hundred thousand dollars. So I was 200 grand in debt. Um, one of my mentors actually ended up being one of the leaders of a $12 million, uh, pun- what turned into a Ponzi scheme and his mm. business partner was convicted in court, barred from holding securities. It was a bad scene. And so I, it was very stressful. And, uh, like I know you've had at times in your life, Lucas is, uh, I was working the 18 hour days, you know, hundred hour weeks. And you're just like, Oh my God, this is, this is like exhaustion now. Plus the stress of being mm. extremely like broke would have been a better position than I was in, yeah. you know, cause broke is zero. <laughs> yeah. At least you're above water a little bit. Yeah. You got a few yeah, bucks. exactly. Yeah. So not me. Um, and so in 2010 on December 26th, um, uh, and I'm a Canadian too, which, uh, which Calgary, I'm, I'm, I'm I believe. sure you appreciate uh, Edmonton, very Edmonton. close. Yes. Very close. Edmonton. Yeah. 
so Boxing Day shopping at West Edmonton Mall is a big deal. And so December 26th, I drove to my parents' house in St. Albert in the, the suburb that we lived in. And uh, my mom said, honey, you're, you're walking kind of funny. Are you, are you okay? And uh, I discovered that day that my ankles and my legs had started swelling. And I developed a case, what we later discovered uh, was erythema nodosum. And so for three months after that, I actually couldn't walk. So that was uh, a big, big, big turning point in my life because I now had three months to think, to lay in bed under the full-time care of my parents. I nearly went double bankrupt, had my mom not paid my mortgage for me three months in a row. So um, one thing I realized uh, came on a really extraordinary day where I felt a tingling in my body and I heard a voice and I said, Tim, this entrepreneurship thing, is this really what you want? And, you know, Lucas, in that moment, like, I don't know if a minute went by or an hour went by, but just time stood still. And then I heard another voice. It was a quiet, weak, but a very clear and certain voice that said, yes, this is what I want. And in that moment, all these realizations started coming, like a cascade or like a bunch of dominoes falling. And I realized that I've been chasing fame and fortune when what I needed to be chasing was truth and mastery. And, you know, there is so much garbage advice out there to go, you know, uh, build all the vanity metrics. Um, vanity metrics, like maximum number of followers, list size, revenue on and on and on launch size. And, and it's, it's unfortunate when we confuse that with true progress because someone can sell a million, but keep none of it. You know, a million can come in the door and a million can go out the door and yet they're celebrated. Someone I know actually went to a photo shoot in the morning for a fast growth award, like an Inc 500 type award did the photo shoot as one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the United States. And in the afternoon, went to his lawyer's office to uh, discuss options to avoid bankruptcy. So crazy. I love that. Right. So so there's just a truth of how things actually go. It's typically not as glamorous as what we're sold when we're looking at Facebook ads or YouTube videos, especially the pre-roll ads. And so, you know, one of my failings was I thought I could just get an assistant, throw a bunch of work at them, walk away, and they would somehow magically spin out some great work and everything would be great. That, that's kind of how I felt after reading the 4-Hour Workweek. And I realized that uh, after my first assistant suddenly disappeared, like I, she was in India and she, she was actually an amazing person, great English, super skilled, and really, really, really like upbeat and positive and, 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 and talented. And one day she just disappeared. I had no idea where she'd gone. And seven days later, I get this flurry of Skype messages and emails saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And what had happened was there was actually a falling out between her political representative and, and a neighboring political representative. And there had been a fight, and the neighboring political representative, actually the electricity turned off to her neighborhood. Mm. So now my well. assistant had no electricity and no internet and therefore couldn't support me. And I went, oh my goodness, if my business is depending on this assistant and this assistant is depending on the like – shaky infrastructure politically or otherwise of a third world country, this is not a good situation. So I, I went back to doing it all myself and lo and behold, now I was back to working crazy hours. And you think I would have learned my lesson by then because I'd like literally had a crippling illness, but no stubborn Timothy has to go out and just, you know, be hard headed about it. So looking back, I realized that really at least 50% of the problem in why that assistant didn't work out was actually my leadership. I didn't know what to delegate. I didn't know how to delegate. I didn't know how to manage. I didn't know how to lead. And that's all assuming I've even got a great assistant in the first place, someone I can count on, in which case, unfortunately, I, I couldn't count on her situation. I could count on her, but not her situation. So in that moment, I decided, okay, no more fooling around. I'm going to do this right. And even though I was colossally in debt, I couldn't afford it. I didn't know what to delegate first, and I was terrified to let go of control I decided I'm going to hire my first ever North American assistant. So I went onto a website called hiremymom.com, which is a kind of a funny name. And I put up an ad for just five hours a week. And there was a paralegal who wanted to work from home. Um, and so she was going to leave her law firm to, to work from home for me. And uh, I don't have a law firm. I had a marketing firm at the time. And, um, and what I didn't realize I did was I actually unleashed something that I now call the positive profit loop. And I'll talk about that in just a sec. But what I'll say is, in the year before I hired my first assistant, my first great assistant, like a North American uh, assistant, um, I made $39,000. And in the 12 months after hiring Sarah, my first great assistant, I made $107,000. Wow. 
I didn't change my product. I didn't change my offering. I didn't change anything else. All I did was I hired the right person in, you know, North America who had the, a high ceiling of potential because they understood American business culture and they, the language natively and the culture natively and everything of, of North America because she was North American. And she just freed me up. She took over all the minutiae that I hated doing and it allowed me to do the high level work. And so what I mean by the positive profit loop is the very first three things I delegated to Sarah were uploading blog posts to my to my blog, uploading podcast episodes, um, and sending invoices to our clients. That's the three things. And so that gave me about five hours a week back because I was releasing a podcast twice a week. So now that I had five hours, did I go and binge on Game of Thrones? No, I did not. Hmm. What I did is I went to my clients who were paying me $40 an hour. Remember, I had a marketing agency at the time. And I just said, you know what? I've always believed that if we could just create this custom landing page for your online ads, that we would get better results. But I just haven't had the time to present it to you because I've been just totally maxed out. But I now have a few hours of extra time. Could we do that? And the clients would say, well, yeah, you've done a great job for us in the past. How long is it going to take? I said, about five hours. And they said, 40 bucks an hour. I said, yep. So for $200, I would set the landing page up for them. So they signed up. They said, sounds great. They gave me $200. They did a great job. Landing pages up. Now I've got $200. Now, Lucas, with those $200, did I go and buy some new jeans? No, I did not. I what I not. did is I gave it to Sarah. All right, yeah. I gave it to Sarah. And at $15 an hour, I forget what the math is, but it's like 12 hours of her time or something like that. And, and so then what did I do with those 12 hours? I did not binge watch you know, uh, Breaking Bad with 12 hours. No, what I did is I went back to my clients. And now I didn't have five hours extra offers to offer them. I had 12 hours, right? And so then I said, hey, this lead magnet we should set up for your business because it would just generate a lot more leads. And they said, sure, Tim, you did a great job on the landing page before and everything before that. Let's do the lead magnet. How long is that going to take? And I had said, oh, uh, probably uh, probably 30 hours-ish or so. And they said, perfect. So they stroked me a check for $1,200. What I do with the $1,200? Do I go to Disneyland? I do not go to Disneyland. Instead, I give it to Sarah, right? And so you can see this widening you know, leverage of her giving me more and more time and I'm making more and more money. And, and after you do this cycle a, a few times, you end up in a situation where you're like, wow, I actually have enough time and money that I could go and take a higher level coaching program. So yeah. now I can learn more marketing skills. I can also network in higher, higher levels of entrepreneurs. So if I wanted to do joint promotions, or if I needed to partner with someone on a, on a skill or something like that, I've got access to that now. And I can see the latest and greatest techniques of what's working in businesses way bigger than me. So whether it's networking or training or whatnot, you know, and, and, and also if someone is a coach, maybe it also means going to get a certification, right? So I went and got certified in a handful of different, um, like Colby and scrum and different training programs. So I could actually now also raise my consulting rate Amazing. to my clients, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so now I've got time and I've got money and I've got access to higher level clients and I can charge them more because they've got more money to spend and I have more credentials and more experience that the whole thing just becomes, it's the opposite of a vicious cycle. A vicious cycle gets worse and worse. A virtuous cycle gets better and better. Yeah. And so that's what the positive profit loop did for me. And that's how I ended up with $107,000 in revenue 12 months after making just $39,000 in 12 months. It's so amazing. So, so, so love it, love it. I want to just touch on, on two things. I'll just take notes as you're talking. One thing that I loved was I visualized you in the pain and 200 grand in debt, and then you've got this growth and you can't walk for three months and you've got this, you know, whether it's your subconscious or higher power, however you want to call it, whatever you sure. want to frame it, you've got these decisions to make. And it was this beautiful moment of full commitment where, I mean, I think our pain is where the warrior is built within us, but mm. Mm. then you move into the next piece of pain, which was your, your, um, your VA disappears for a week, massive pain, probably sub form of a full commitment into I'll figure this out. And, and what I think just from anyone listening, what I think is, is lacking a lot. And I'm not casting rocks because I've been there and there's moments of weakness on my part too, in full disclaimer, but that full commitment We'll get you there because then when you went into what do I do with my 200, I see so many people. I made this mistake, by the way. I bought a Ducati and a BMW the second I started doing well. And then two weeks later, I'm like, this, these are pieces of plastic and they're, they're ridiculous. Mm. How about I sell this shit um, and reinvest? And that's where that commitment into reinvesting went, where now if I want a Ducati, I go buy one. Um, but that's years in the working of making that happen, not to glamorize it. So I, I love the idea of full commitment and 
something I just try to constantly do with, with clients or with anyone working with is like, can we keep recommitting every single, like how committed are you to this thing? And I think you're a mm-hmm. shining example and a golden example of no matter how much pain, whether it's 200 grand in debt or you're, you lost a few thousand dollars or you think it's the end, I think you're a testament that it's, as long as you don't quit or eject the game and throw it out the window, you're just resetting the game and just keep playing another level until you figure it out. So I, I hope everyone listening has that level of commitment because I, I truly think that's what it takes. If, if you don't have that, you're in for some um, for some bad news. Then you use the word, you didn't use the word, but I, was, I put alignment is making sure that you're not looking at Hollywood or you're not looking at Steve Jobs trying to build Apple. That's awesome. That's cool. But what is it you want? And until I started stop chasing, trying to hit $200,000 a month, but my profit margins were about this big, I sat down with, with someone who was like, what are your profit margins? And I'm like, they're this. Mm-hmm. And they're like, dude, mm-hmm. there, there's nothing there. Why don't you simplify the business, get rid of all the complexity, and work on profit margins? And then I started moving profit margins to 50, 60, 70%. And although I was making less of the, the, I couldn't brag about, hey, here's the amazing sales we hit. I'm like reeling in the cash and it changed everything for me. So I love that. Very nice. Yeah, I think I think so much of entrepreneurship um, is a process of surrender. And, you know, I know that like, and I, I've actually heard, so I don't have any children, um, but I've heard parents describe a similar phenomenon with their kids. So if anyone listening has kids, maybe you can relate to this. It's like, when you realize that that this thing that you've got, you know, your business or, you know, if it's your child, it's like you like no longer am I going to make the complaint of I don't feel like doing it. Like if the baby's crying in the middle of the night, you got to feed it. Right. And if the business needs you to swallow your pride or swallow your ego or give up being right for once or, you know, let go of, let go of control a little bit or something. There's like an element of surrender there. And, and, you know, I've got eight teammates now we've helped hire over 300 assistants for entrepreneurs in the United States and Canada, all of that 18 to $21 an hour, um, range that I was sharing in the opening. And I've only personally helped hire probably about 20. I helped hire the first 20, maybe 25, 30, something like that of the 300. And the next 270 assistants have been hired by my team. So like now I need to surrender, not just to an executive assistant, but also surrender to the process and surrender to, wow, now I have eight team members and now I have eight team members who are all affected by COVID-19 and the pandemic. And what level of responsibility am I willing to take on? And yes, I do in, in many ways need to put them before me. And now obviously there's a balance there and there's boundaries and whatnot, but you know, really it's like, surrendering to saying, oh, because I don't feel like it is less and less of an option with each stage that kind of goes on. Now, that doesn't mean we need to suffer. It just means that we need to accept and say, how can I accept this new reality that I'm in and adjust myself so that I can work with it instead of against it? I love that so much. And I think it just comes down to the word commitment is, I guess, when you have a kid, you are automatically committed if you're a good parent. Um, And yeah, you got no option and you find the best way of doing it. But within that surrender, I love how you said that because on question, one of the questions that I had if we came up to it was this control. And I know me, and here's full transparency as well, is I used to really fight and hate the fact that I was so obsessed and controlling over my vision, my dream. And because my vision, my dream, and what I want to create is so damn important to me, and I'm sure whoever's listening can relate to this, I would sometimes wish that I could not be so controlling, but then I found it's a superpower as well as a curse if I can't let it go. And so for anyone listening who is like, I think I, I can do it best. No one else can do it better than me. Or if I bring mm. someone on, like how can they repurpose my <laughs> blog? Because what if they mess it up? And like, no one can do it better than me. No one can do my video intro better than me. No one can edit better than me. No one can coach better than me. So how can I hire another coach? What are some of the things I've been through? No one can, can create a little outro for my podcast better than I can. All of a sudden you're trying to do everything. And I know you have experience in coaching or you've got experience working with people. What would you work someone through if that limiting belief is kind of working through their head right now? Well, no one can do it better than me. So I'm stuck. hundred percent. It's asking yourself what opportunity cost that is hands down the difference maker. 
if, if I were to say to you, Lucas, that, you know, um, the Ducati, the BMW, the amazing trip to Europe and working 25 hours a week while making, you know, clearing personal income quarter million dollars a year or something like that, that the difference between achieving that and being where you are, imagine I'm talking to Lucas of maybe five years ago or something like that. The difference is your willingness to let someone take over your email inbox. <gasps> oh my God, all that fear that just came up. I was so excited about the Ducati and the BMW and the European vacation and the quarter million dollar after tax personal income on and on and on and on. But email inbox, you want me to hand off my email inbox? No, like it's <laughs> right. So, right. So yeah. now here's the thing. You know, I think I love that acronym that fear is false expectations appearing real. Love it. And the first time I ever went to hand off my email inbox to my assistant, um, you would have sworn that I was like a heroin addict. My hand was like shaking. I wouldn't do it. And like, it was, it was unbelievable how like somatic or like physical the experience of fear was like, look, I was not in Banff with a bear chasing me. That's good reason yeah. to be shaking with fear. Okay. Handing off an email inbox. Really? You're going to shake with fear over that. And I was like, I'm, I'm kind of making light of it now. And probably many people listening to this are like, yeah, that very is terrifying. real, very real, though, it's very real right? But here's the thing. What are you giving up if you're not willing to trust? If you're not willing to let go of control, if you're not willing to let somebody do that podcast intro or outro at 85% of what you can do, yeah. right? What is the cost? How many hours are you spending doing that podcast intro or outro or in your email inbox or uploading blog posts or whatever it is? How much time are you spending doing that? And because you're spending time on that, you're not with your family. You're not working out. If you're not happy with your fitness because you're working too many hours, the, the, the answer isn't lower the bar on fitness. The answer is figure out how to do your work differently and what's getting in the way. And, you know, when I think about how many times, how many times I missed out, I was like stepping over $100 bills to pick up pennies, stepping over $100 bills to pick up pennies. That's what happens when we're not willing to learn, surrender, you know, realize, wait, hold on. When I exited the womb, I didn't know how to edit a podcast somewhere along the way. Actually, I did learn how to do that. So that means someone else could probably learn it too, as yeah. long as they are of high enough caliber. Right. And again, yeah. that's why we only hire people from, you know, the United States and Canada, similar, same language, time zone, culture, all the rest that have business experience, you know, have the similar goals, everything like it's not just anyone that you can hand your email inbox to. Okay. You need a yeah. great trusted right-hand person. And that's why uh, we hire who we hire. It's amazing. Amazing. So someone's listening, sold done. I'm going to get my VA. I'm going to make the jump. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm going to do it. I know when I actually go do it, it's going to be terrifying, but I'm committing to this thing of four or five hours. I'm going to find someone to help me with, I'm going to call it low level, but it's still really important, but hopefully that within context, that makes sense. So the, the low level stuff that is important. What could I start delegating first? Is it my inbox? Is it the most repetitive task I do? Could, could you work us through just a bit of a process for some of the first things you generally see in context to an online business where, yeah. you know, it's fairly simple transaction, one-on-one -on -one invoices, um, some marketing, some content marketing, and a lot of our clients run paid traffic. Some don't, but in that kind of context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you bet. So first of all, I actually have a PDF that's 100 tasks you can delegate to an assistant, and I really encourage people to check that out. Link, um, link will be below because that's, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, and, and so the link is greatassistant.com forward slash Coach's Corner, um, la Lucas Rubik's. So that's great. So it's just forward slash Coach's Corner. Love it. And, um, and so, the, so a couple things. Number one, First of all, Lucas, I really tip my cap to you because you're acknowledging that all work that happens in the business is important, right? It's like it's it's almost disrespectful to call it like low-level work in a sense, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Like, you know, if you think sending invoices to your customers is minutiae, BS, low-level work you don't have to do, then try running your business without sending invoices to customers and just see how much money you've got at the end of the month, right? Totally. It's a big mindset a, shift for me. I'm like, the janitor is extremely important because if the place is yeah. clean, then you're fucked. Like, who's going to come in and do business with you? So, so the question is not high level, low level. The question is what's appropriate. Yeah. It's just not appropriate anymore for 
Lucas to yeah. be answering his email or for, you know, whoever's listening for you to be uploading podcast episodes because it's not where you can bring the highest value to the business. We need to make a business decision about what is appropriate for you as the CEO and maybe the service provider and likely the spokesperson for your business is we need you in the right spot and it's not doing invoicing or uploading. So uh, on that same exact link I just shared, we also have a time study spreadsheet. You can put in what you're doing each day and what tasks are coming up the most often. And then we actually have people when they do the time study, identify which tasks that you could teach to someone else because that's a hint that it might be something that, so imagine you've got this spreadsheet with three days of tasks every 15 minutes. Here's what I'm doing each 15 minutes. And not just what I'm doing, but what's also the tool I'm using at that time. So people will say, oh, I'm in my email inbox. Well, that's the tool, but what are you doing in your email inbox? Because it's very different if you're answering a customer service inquiry, which it doesn't require a lot of like knowledge or authority, versus writing an email to your lawyer about setting up a U.S. entity or something like that, you mm-hmm. know, or your, your accountant about your tax return, that that's like not all emails the same, just like not all client interactions are the same. So identifying both the tool and the task, that's important when we're tracking what we're up to. And definitely pro tip, pro tip of pro tip is you want to be delegating items that recur regularly in your business, like at least once a week, ideally multiple times a week and are simple to teach, simple to learn. And so if you can find those tasks, that is what you can be handing off right away. And a lot of people will say, well, but it only takes me 15 minutes to send an invoice. You know, it would take me probably 20 minutes to teach someone to do it. True. And if you're only sending one invoice a year, then don't do that deal. Don't, don't train someone. It's just, that's a drain on your time. But on the other hand, if that invoice is happening, you know, three times a week, and let's, let's say four times a week and it's 15 minutes of time. That's an hour a week multiplied by 50 working weeks a year. I would do any deal in the world that I get 50 hours of my time back for simply teaching someone once for 20 minutes. So that's why the repeat the repeating nature of tasks is so important. Furthermore, if it's something that repeats often, it's probably something you yourself have done a ton because you've done it a ton, you know how to teach it, you know which guidelines to give them, you might even have a checklist or an SOP you can create, you know how to use the tools. You're not sending them off on some goose chase, right? So like sometimes entrepreneurs will say, you know, now that I've got an assistant, I've always wanted to start a podcast. I'm going to buy a podcasting course, give it to my brand new assistant who has no context of the business. They're going to go figure it out. No, 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 no. You want to start by freeing yourself up. If you don't have a podcast yet, don't start a podcast and have your assistant run it. Let's begin by optimizing you because you're the greatest asset. So let's get what you're doing off your plate first. And then after that, if you want to think about doing a podcast, now you think about as the coach, as the leader, you think about going to solve that equation because sending an assistant off into the wild like that is a, is a, is a crash course. It's just not going to work. So, so that's what I really focus on recurring tasks that are simple to teach, simple to learn, um, happening at least if, you know, once a week, ideally multiple times per week. And what you'll oftentimes find uh, in a coaching business is there's administration and then marketing support. Those are the two main areas that you'll find an assistant will help you the most. So I always talk about a concept called surgeon in the room. And this is something I invented. So, you know, if we think about it, does a surgeon empty the trash can, set up the surgical room, you know, uh, do all the steps of surgery? Absolutely not. In fact, the surgeon is really involved in only three things, and these are the same three things entrepreneurs, including coaches, should be focused on, is strategy, high-level skill, high-level access, that's it. So in terms of strategy, that would be like, how am I going to market my coaching business, right? Am I going to speak? Am I going to have Facebook Lives? Am I going to run paid traffic? What is it? Am I going to just go to masterminds and network my way to clients? Like, So that's strategy in a coaching business. Then when we're working with clients, like as a coach, if I'm working with a client, strategy would be like hearing about what that client is dealing with and then recommending a course of action, right? So if it's, if I'm a relationship coach, then I'm going to hear and I'm going to prescribe, here's what, here's a journaling exercise you should do. Or if I'm a marketing coach, I'm going to say, Ooh, you know, your USP should be this, or you should add a guarantee, right? So that's strategy and high level skill with our clients, right? So, so there's strategy, high level skill, and then high level access, like, only we as entrepreneurs like we have high level access to 
signing off on certain documents, right? Like a tax return, right? Maybe we only have high level access to our bank accounts. And even though it's a simple task, we're still gonna keep it for ourselves because it's high level access. High level access also shows up in that we have high level access to other people. Like Lucas Rubix can text Tim Francis. You could text me, you have high level access to me. Um, in fact, when dinner parties start happening, I'm sorry, when travel and the pandemic lifts, I'll invite you to come to my dinner party in Austin. If you wanna fly right. in for that, you're welcome to come. And it's all other entrepreneurs. Whereas someone who is not at Lucas Rubix's level would not have access to just text me. You right. know, so there's something about that, that having high level. So the surgeon is focused on that level just as the entrepreneur and coach should be too. What we should be delegating is everything else. Setup, coordination, delegation, onboarding, basic research, um, uh, client support, tech support, you know, common tasks, errands, all of that should, should over time be delegated. And so we want the entrepreneur to become surgeon in the room. So once we've identified the non-surgery tasks, which comes from doing our time study and also from looking at that PDF that uh, everyone has access to, the 100 tasks PDF, now we've got to figure out how to delegate them. So I invented a tool called 360 Delegation. And 360 Delegation is a framework, like an intellectual framework. And it's when you're describing the vision, the resources, and the definition of done. Those are the three parts of a good 360 Delegation. So vision is, what do I want done? Why are we doing it? What's the story for the backstory of why we're doing it? Uh, maybe even if this fails, what, what's at stake? If it goes well, here's what we gain. Um, here's the important timelines. Here's the deadlines, the milestones along the way. Okay, so that's all part of vision. Uh, resources is what resources are required to complete this successfully. So do we need a username and a password, like online access? Do we need access to a Dropbox file? Do we need access to coaches? Do we need access to consultants? Are there other teammates we have to work with? If we're dealing with something overseas, is there a language barrier that we need a translator? Do we need certain tools? You know, uh, do I need, uh, certain online tools like Infusionsoft or WordPress or lead pages or convert kit or whatever it is, right? So, so in the 360 delegation tool, we actually list close to 20 different resources. And every time you're delegating, you just go down that list. Nope, 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 nope. Yes, we need this. We need an SOP or a checklist, right? Okay, good. Let's make sure that gets included. You're getting nope, me all nope, excited. Nope. You're getting me all excited. Oh, I love this. It's, it's super good. And this is all in the exact same link. Yeah. On, uh, so, that, you know, we've got a few different PDFs that we offer for everyone who goes to greatassistant.com forward slash coaches corner. So, so what you'll find, um, and uh, a friend of mine named Mike Rhodes, he's uh, one of the top AdWords people on the planet, actually. He's in Australia. Um, he taught me a concept called hourglass, which is kind of a, a version of the 80-20 rule. And hourglass simply says that the first 10% and the last 10% of any project task campaign or business mm. are the hardest parts because it has the most complexity, the most uncertainty. And so what, how I talk about it is the first 10% is leading the work, the middle 80% is doing the work, and the last 10% is reviewing the work. And if entrepreneurs are exhausted, it's because they're doing too much of the whole 100%. And how you get out of the middle 80% into the top 10 and the last 10 and remove yourself from that big chunk of the middle 80 is getting really good at delegating and delegating to someone who's capable uh, of executing. And so the way that you delegate is with 360 delegation, vision resources definition of done. If you're super clear on that, then your teammate can run and they can totally do a great job. And then the other half of that is obviously your teammate has to be of a, of a caliber that they either can learn how or they already know how to do the delegation that's been handed to them. And once you get that in place and you've got an assistant who is excited to be with you, not just for a few weeks or a few months, but they're like committed to you and they wanna be with you for like years to come. Maybe they've got kids that are growing up and so for the next 10 years, they know they want to work from home. They want to be in a flexible uh, work home environment. Oh my goodness. Now you get the compound interest because if you think about it, if you've got an assistant that knows how to upload a podcast and they know how to upload a blog post and they know how to edit the podcast and they know how to pull out quotes for your social media and they know how to use canva.com and we start task stacking all these related tasks now, uh, and I call it task stacking. Now we can take and bundle that all together and say, this is a podcast episode yeah. book, you know, I'm talking to Tim Francis on July the whatever. Um, I'm going to do my part, surgeon in the room, strategy, high-level skill, high-level access. I'm going to get Tim on the podcast. That's your job, Lucas, because you've got high-level access to me. So you you got me on. Secondly, high-level skill is you're going to do the interview. High-level access, you're the only Lucas Rubik's, so you got to be the one on the, on the mic. So, okay, so perfect. So you're doing your job. And now that you've done your job, you can now basically run the algorithm or run the formula because your assistant has now been trained in all of the task stacked related items from 
editing to uploading to publishing and all the rest. And guess what you get to do? You get to move on to the next surgery room, which is the next interview. Yeah. And the next interview, and the next interview. And this is just talking about podcasting, which is such a small part of what you like. It's not how you spend all your time every day. You have 100%. so many other surgery rooms that you move to. This is so beautiful. So, Tim, you talk like me. Like when I get passionate, I'm 1,001 things. Here you go. For anyone who just listened to that, there will be a resource. There will be downloads, I believe. Is it all in one or is it two different resources? Or is it all in one in the 360 and the task list? Yeah, so there. So uh, folks will just go to that web page okay, and cool. then... Uh, then they'll be able to see, once they opt in, they'll, get, they'll see all the, the PDFs. I, I highly recommend doing it only because I know the pain. And, and in full transparency, there's always the next. I'm just like, damn, I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself spending a lot of time on this. And so I'm always trying to figure out how to do it. But I do it fairly crudely, as in I just go and try to figure it out. And I'm resourceful enough to figure it out. But it, to have a system or have a process or have some framework to do it would have saved me uh, I don't know, probably like 400 nights of gut-wrenching anxiety because I'm wondering what's going on <laughs> behind the scenes. And then I also noticed when I didn't do it properly, I found myself saying, shit, I just don't want to do this, so could you do it? But because I was handing off stuff that uh, I don't want to do it, it was never done well because I can't expect I had to take leadership, take ownership, and say this is how I want it done, and now let's go do it. So I love the hourglass idea because it's a bit of a visual of you've got to lead it. And if you don't lead it and you just expect other people to do it, it's probably not going to be done the way you want to do it. Hence, you're going to be really frustrated. At least that was my experience, and I'm always learning. So this is extremely exciting for, for me, and I'm sure anyone listening is excited. We need a surgeon in the room, yeah. whatever it is that we're doing. We need a surgeon in the room. And so something we bumped up against just uh, earlier this year was, like, I don't really know much about YouTube marketing, right? And so – and I've got I've – got, you know, a number of people, I'm, I'm grateful to be in a position where I have a number of people who will execute on my behalf. Like I can even, I can bring camera crews into my apartment to shoot the content. I don't even have to shoot the content. I just have to show my face and deliver it. Right. Yeah. And so, so even though I have all those advantages, I still can't pull the trigger if yeah. we don't have a surgeon in the room. Yep. So here's how you get a surgeon in the room on anything in your business. If you're struggling in marketing or sales or production or hiring an assistant or whatever, is you can actually like rent a surgeon if you know what I mean. Yeah. So if you want to know how to build a coaching business, you go to Lucas Rubik's. Yeah. He can be the surgeon in the room for you until you learn how to do surgery. And now he can step out and you can step in, right? If you need help with your taxes, you go to an accountant. They're the surgeon in the room. You don't have to be the surgeon on everything. You yeah. just have to be responsible that there is a surgeon present one way or the other in each of the critical surgery rooms of your business. I love that. I love that. It sounds like I think I make this story up because I don't think the story is like this, but that Henry Ford story of he was like brought into court thinking someone wanted to take his company. I'm making half this up, but the visual is someone wants to take his company because you're not qualified to run Ford. You don't know anything about anything. And he's like, I've got 12 telephones to the best engineer, best mechanic, best electrician, best aerodynamics engineer and I just call them and I ask them they're the experts I do it so I think we're all really good at one or two things mine was always communicating and I can inject passion and energy I can make people do things in five minutes I can change your whole I can get you so damn excited it's what I'm really good at and so I focus on that and everything else which most things I'm not very good at who's very good at it who can teach it get a course get a coach get a mentor spend the money download it, kind of like the matrix with learning ninjutsu, download it and move on. So I, I love the more of a strategic approach. So I'll definitely be going through these resources for, for just one last thing for anyone who's sitting there excited. Cause this was a lot. We, we covered a lot. Like my, my notepad has two pages of notes all over the place. I'm going to have to go through uh, the, the resource will absolutely help you. But someone who's just starting Tim, and is, is mm. again, taking that jump, any kind of words of wisdom, we'll call it, or any just gentle push to being like, just just start this, go to these resources, check this out, you know, create that list of what you want to delegate first, and, and, and any kind of, from the expert himself, anything that can just gently nudge people into the next level of, of business, the next level of your reality could be in just a few weeks' time, you could be you could have a small team, which to me is so damn exciting for someone. You bet. Yeah, so let's talk small, medium, large. So small, medium, large. Um, if if you are struggling to get clients, um, it's not time to get an assistant. Beautiful. Okay. Um, if if you if you're not 
and you know, I, I, I was at only $39,000. Um, some folks that's probably still too early. I think because I was single and I was very living a very lean lifestyle, <laughs> I could get away with that. Um, you know, uh, plus also I was at $39,000 and I didn't have to pay any fees to any companies. Right. So, you know, so just keep that in mind. Um, and so, but if you, but if you don't have, if you are really struggling to get clients, don't, don't hire us, don't get an assistant anywhere, actually focus on getting clients. And, and I know Lucas can help you with that. So focus on that. Um, if you are on the fence where you're like, you know what, I've got some good clients, like, you know, things are starting to happen a bit here. I'm maybe you're knocking on the door of six figures. Um, and you are starting to see like, Ooh, I might have to turn down clients who are going to pay me money because I'm like doing administrative work or I'm doing like marketing coordination type work. Like, look, maybe you need to record the Facebook live, but you don't need to be the one to repurpose it and put it up on YouTube. Awesome. For example. Right. So, so if you're kind of on that bubble, then I actually invite anyone who's on that bubble to book a discovery call with our team. And so on that exact same page, on the exact same page I mentioned before, greatassistant.com forward slash coaches corner, and that is plural, coaches, singular corner, coaches corner. Um, there's, a, there's a button there for the free resources, and there's also a button that you can click there to, uh, to book a session with our uh, client advisor, uh, Eric. And so Eric's going to be listening for three things. He's going to be listening for fit, timing, and profitability. He wants to know if what we're offering is a fit for what you're doing and if what you're doing is a fit for our program. Secondly, he's going to be looking at timing. There's such thing as getting an assistant too early. We don't want to, we don't want to make that happen. Okay. Furthermore, let's face it. You're worse off when you get an assistant in the first four to eight weeks, because now you're doing your job. Plus you're trying to train them on how to do their job, which is very time consuming. So if you're in the middle of a launch, this is not the time to get an assistant. And Eric will tell you, he'll just say, this is not a good time. Let's circle back in three months, six months or whatnot. And the third thing he's listening for is profitability. Is there a clear path to profitability that if you were to get 10 hours of your time back, which by the way, that is the minimum, um, you know, you, you need to be hiring for at least 10 hours a week if you're going to join our program. Um, if, if, if we were to wave a magic wand and give you 10 extra hours a week, could you turn that into revenue that would far exceed what you're paying your assistant? And if you don't have a path to profitability, nothing wrong with that. It's just too early. You need to focus more on marketing and sales before you should join our program, at which point now there would be a path to profitability Amazing. and that assistant could become wildly profitable. So, and then if you're someone who's already multiple six figures and you are someone who is really strong at getting new clients, like call us immediately, book a session and Eric will see if there's room. If, if we don't think you're a fit, we're not going to kick you to the curb. Uh, we'll just recommend some other resources, maybe other services or other paths or maybe some other, uh, you know, exercises to do. And maybe circle back with us in three to six months. So we do have a 90-day rematch guarantee. And we would rather not have to invoke that if someone's just not ready. So we, we we tell a lot of people just wait. Uh, but those who are ready, you know, we can bring them in and, and help them right away. I don't know where you were in my life years ago. But but this is this really, really <laughs> excites me. And just, just for anyone listening, and, and I don't think there's anything in this for me. But I'm just saying that I'm, uh, I'll definitely be investigating it as well. Because I know we're in a position where we're, we, we grow so fast because I'm so aggressive. That there's mm-hmm. often times I find myself even doing things. I'm like, why am I doing this? But everyone else is so busy that I'm like, ah... And it just seems like every time you bring someone on, because I've experienced this, it increases the complexity, not twofold, but it seems like it's like I've just increased the complexity. And so it's a fine balance to me of what's the lifestyle, what what do I want to build and do I want a team of 25 people or where am I at? So there's always the alignment thing for myself as well. But this really fascinates me and, and I hope anyone listening, whatever level you're at, even the no clients level, I hope this inspires you and gives you a... A, a reason to continue to grow because it's coming. I know what wearing 22 hats feels like. I'm sure I'm sure you do as well. And it, it kind of sucks, but you're in the trenches, even editing video. Because I had someone ask me, should I outsource my video? And I was like, do you feel you're great at video? Because by editing video, you're forced to rewatch yourself on camera and get better at your craft. And so I'm, I'm always kind of like I like to edit video because video and speaking and becoming better on video is a craft that I really want to master. So I rewatch every video and I take mm. a note of how can I get better. So I, it's coming. And then if you're in that place where you think you need a VA, at least from my experience, you probably do. So I'll, I'll leave all the links below. And 
And Tim, I always ask every single guest this one question, and this can be entrepreneurship, business, personal life, with wherever you are in your spiritual journey, in your professional journey, if you could give a nice little nugget to, I'm not sure how old you were, so I'll make it up, but but the, 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 the younger Tim who's can't walk for three months, or even maybe before that, before all of that happened, a little nugget of wisdom that you could just penetrate into your soul so you just took it as truth and you didn't have to even think about it. It just became a part of your narrative, a part of your script. What would that be? So the question is, what does 28-year-old Tim laying on his bed, wiped out, uh, need to hear from 37-year-old Tim? Is that it? Yeah, that could be it, ready to give up or ready to to throw in the towel or just really questioning. You You had that beautiful moment where you're like, is this really for me? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I guess a few things. Um, first of all is that uh, the skilled sailor is not made in safe harbors, right? If you want to get good at your craft, you got to be out in the choppy waters. And sometimes that means having no money. And sometimes that means being told no. And sometimes that means having loved ones hold you by the shoulders and shake you a little bit and say, what you're doing terrifies me. Mm-hmm. And I've had all those experiences. Mm-hmm. And I just think... Um, I think along the way, I realized really seven pillars uh, to success. So skill set, mindset, coaching, community, tools, strategy, and environment. And the more that I could tend to those seven items, the more that I became successful. And so, you know, if I am surrounded by people who believe entrepreneurship is a risky, bad idea, you know, First, we choose our friends and our friends make us. First, we choose our habits and our habits make us. First, we choose our environment and our environment makes us. First, we choose our media and then our media makes us. So I am I think we. Uh, there's a great book, uh, Willpower is Not Enough. Okay. And I think that is so true. I think we are way more sensitive to how we create the world around us and even you know our inner world. We are way more sensitive to that, that gritted teeth, clenched fist determination has such a limited lifespan. We need to have shoulders to cry on. We need to have high fives to give to celebrate with. We need coaches to tell us when we're on path or off path. We need to work on our mindset. If you don't think that you can get rid of your email inbox, you never will. I was once, I, on a credit card, I paid to go to a $10,000 event. I shouldn't have gone. Like for all sane reasons, I should not have gone because financially it was not a good choice. So I flew from, from St. Albert, from Edmonton area, uh, where I'm from, to Chicago, to a Perry Marshall event, and two powerful, powerful things happened. Number one, um, I sat front and center. It was Richard Koch who was speaking. He wrote the eighty twenty principle, the book mm-hmm, that like mm-hmm, Tim Ferriss mm-hmm. and everyone talks about. Um, at the time of the presentation, Richard's net worth was four hundred million dollars, and he was like fifty first on Britain's rich list behind Ringo Starr of the Beatles. Doesn't he so work this like guy is, one hour a day nowadays? Like that's his whole thing. Like one hour a day, I believe. I'm so happy you brought that exact point up because. I was sitting in the front row having spent money I didn't have to be at a course, you know, to be at a workshop that was just like probably five levels beyond my level of consciousness because Richard's brilliant, just absolutely brilliant. And, and he says this question, Tim, uh, not Tim, but to everyone, um, what would have to be true about your business for you to maintain or increase profits, not revenue, okay, but profits while working only one hour a day? And that's not a four-hour workweek question. That is a how do I replace myself over and over and over and over again until I'm at a point that I am, um, you know, really just doing the strategy high level, skill high level access of my business, right? So when he said that, my first thought was, F you, you don't know who I am. I'm way more important than you think. My business is different. Um, no one knows how to do what I can do as well as I can. These are all the thoughts going in my head as a broke 20 whatever year old you know, kid telling a 400. Staring at, yeah, exactly. Staring at a legend, you know, who you're an idiot. is, yeah. yeah, exactly. You're an idiot. You don't know me. Right. And, and, and so I protested in my head. I didn't hear anything for the next like nine minutes of that presentation. And then it, but it dawned on me. Well, Timothy, this is how my inner voice sounds. <laughs> well, Timothy, if you're not willing to open your mind to a dude worth 400 million who's like in his 60s or 70s, has decades of experience, um, wrote the book, The 80-20 Principle, that you really respect, and you dropped 10 Gs to be here. If you're not willing to just entertain the possibility of what this man has said, pack up your books, 
walk out that back door, get on the first flight back home because you are wasting your time here. Mm. And, and it took that for me to go, okay, fine. You can imagine me huffing and puffing. I said, let's play make believe. I'm just going to play, you know, we're going to go to never, never land. I'm going to make believe that it's even possible that I like, what would it take for me to replace myself that I could work only one hour a day while maintaining or increasing profits. And the second that my mind opened to the possibility, I went bing, bing, bing. I need a salesperson, a copywriter, and an analyst. That was it. That's all it took. It took like maybe a second and a half. And I knew exactly what the answers were. My mindset resisted from even being possible. And so because I held myself on the sidelines, there was no way for me to get on the court and to see what was possible. So that was such a powerful moment. I call that the $10,000 question because I paid 10 Gs to get it. And it's been worth far more than that to me. And the other thing that happened at that event, talk about the positive profit loop, was I went to that event and I just knew. I asked myself, who in their right mind pays 10 Gs to go to like a three-day event? And then I realized, oh, wait, people who can afford 10 Gs to go to an event, dot, dot, dot. So if I'm networking at an event like this, then I have a shot at landing some pretty killer clients. And no kidding, at that event, I met someone who introduced me to someone who introduced me to someone. And it was like two weeks later after that event, I was on the phone with Ryan Levesque and he ended up hiring me for $10,000 a month to be a consultant to him. Mm. So I put down 10 and I got 10 G's a month after that. That is a better return on investment than you'd see almost anywhere, right? It's amazing what happens when you take the leap out of your comfort zone. That's where everything we want lies. It's just outside of that. No way, but let me just jump in anyways. Everything we want lies in there. It's so amazing. And I would say Warren Buffett's question set is excellent here. He has a question set. He says, what's the upside? What's the downside? Can I live with the downside? So could I, what was the upside of going to a $10,000 event? Maybe I'd find a high-end client, right? And, and I did. So it played out. What's the downside? I lose 10 Gs. And in that moment, I still had a roof over my head. I still had enough money for my next mortgage payment and my next, right? So it wasn't going to decimate me if I if the 10 Gs didn't work out. So that's really important. I think that's a balancing question is, can I handle the downside? Because if I can't, then I probably shouldn't have gone. That's amazing. I guess it goes down to your self-assessment and your own sort of risk tolerance is I think the longer you're in this game, the more risk tolerance. I was just talking about someone yesterday. I've never heard my parents, they were immigrants, say, be careful. I'd like be climbing mountains where I don't know how they did it, but if I fell, I would have died. And my dad was like, good job. Like you made it. And so motorcycles, car racing, riding Ducatis at 300 kilometers an hour racetracks, like it never scared me. So my risk tolerance from an early age was, I'm going to die. So let's go for it. And I'm so grateful for my parents for that. But so I guess you just got to assess your own risk level and and what's right for you. Because I used to give the advice, just Mm -hmm. go for it, screw it. Like go all in, you'll find a way. But some people jump into that and then they freeze and they literally physically cannot move. It's so much fear. So I've, I've lightened my dial on the advice I'll give for that because that's just my own perspective of it. But I love how you said that is, um, basically your own risk tolerance. Yeah. So I think the right decision, and now we're getting into kind of when I sit on boards, I've, I've sat through 140 board meetings now and I've, I've consult, you know, my private consulting rate is a thousand dollars an hour when I go to help turn around companies and whatnot. And I think that the right decision for each of us is whatever sits at the middle of our unique set of circumstances, our unique set of resources and our unique set of timing. So if the question is, should I write a book? Let's just make this super coach friendly here. Should I write a book? Most coaches get told you should write a book. Well, let's just take a look at where are you, right? Where are you? If you are someone with no money, no clients, and you're thinking of writing a book that might take like 90 days, but you don't have enough money to pay next week's rent, your resources include maybe a lot of knowledge, maybe a lot of experience, but no money. Mm-hmm. Your circumstances are you got to pay rent and it's going to take you know 90 days to write this book. The timeline is not 90 days. You don't have 90 days to run away. You have like seven days. So instead of starting to write a book, like that's a horrible decision. You should be like dialing for dollars, calling people to see if you can work in their business, right? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. and, and make a few dollars, right? 
And look, that's not leveraged, but it's the right choice given your circumstances, resources, and timing. Now, on the other hand, if you've got a, you know, if you've got, you know, enough recurring revenue from clients, if you've got some online course sales, if you're doing multiple six figures, let's say, and you're in a spot where um, you're good for cash, and you have enough team and process in place to be delivering that you can actually put the time in to write a good book. Well, now actually dialing for dollars to talk to clients would be a horrible, it's not the right choice, right? The right choice might be writing the book, right? Now here's the crazy thing. Those two people I just described could be sitting next to each other in an audience at an event where someone on the stage says, you got to write a book. It's the number one thing you need to do to grow your business. You know, and, and we can substitute out, write a book with start Facebook ads to create a webinar, to be an Instagram influencer, like whatever. I'm not picking on books here. I'm just picking a strategy. And, 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 and it drives me crazy to go all the way back to the start of our talk about like the, the caliber and the clarity and the accuracy of the advice that's on the internet and that's at different conferences and whatnot is there's no way that speaker knows everyone's situation in that room that they're speaking to. Love it. Right. It's, it'd be like me saying everyone should get an assistant, but that's not true. It's just not true. If you don't know how to get customers and you don't have a way to make your time more valuable by doing something that's generating high value dollar uh, an hour activities, don't get an assistant. You know what I mean? And that's why I tell people, I still don't like some people say, oh, if I have six, a six figure business, should I get an assistant? I'm like, well, I still don't know. That's why you should talk to our client advisor so he can hear specifically about your specific circumstances, resources, and timing. And only if it's a fit in your books and in his books, should we proceed? And I think that that is so important because, you know, I mean, how many times have I heard don't trade time for money? That's, that's what losers do is trade time for money. Look, if someone wants to pay me a thousand bucks an hour, I will show up anywhere you want. I will do almost anything you want. You know what I mean? Because the thing is, is uh, one of my mentors, Keith Cunningham, said this. There's nothing wrong with time for money if the time is worth the money. Right? Mm-hmm. Think about that. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. And in fact, my company, Great Assistant, a couple times, especially a few years ago, hit big time cash crunches where I had more overhead than I could handle. And because I was trading time for dollars as a consultant, I had the money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Had I had I not been trading time for money, I would have been out of business. Yes, so it's just the whole people are buying into the passive income, buy a hundred properties and and buy a private jet, which I love. The inspiration that you can draw from that to keep moving forward. So I'm a huge fan, but at the same time, I mean, at the end of the day, like the whole passive income idea has been so. Like there are things that aren't truly it still takes your time and i, I think everyone mm-hmm. just is going for this easy money without putting time robert green who was on the podcast such a big fan but mm. just mastery and the mm. 10,000 hours and the repping mm. it out and that may just be my old school canadian oil rig rough and gruff but rep it out <laughs> because you can't learn to turn a wrench if you you got to turn a wrench 50,000 times to learn how to rebuild an engine with your eyes closed and so i i i love your rawness your realness yet it's not just your strategy. Everything about it. if people want to find you, because we 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 we're, we got so much to unpack. And I know you you said you have a no. You're waiting to do a YouTube channel, but you haven't executed on it yet because you're still waiting for things. But if people want to dive into your content to just dive into some of these things, do you, you got a main channel or somewhere where people can just consume? Um, I I love when somebody has had all these mentors and has pulled from because literally you're a conduit for. Instead of someone having to join a $10,000 mastermind and kind of learn the lessons from it through your content or through whatever it is you're producing, people can really build that. So do, do people have a place to go to, to learn a little bit more about you and to kind of dive into some of these things? So if someone wants to binge, binge watch Tim Francis, where do they go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so, uh, so my, my parent brand is called Profit Factory. And so if you go to YouTube and you just type in Profit Factory and look for me, there's some... I have no idea what it is. There's some <laughs> affiliate program called The Profit Factory, and so it can be kind of confusing. But um, just go to the YouTube channel called Profit Factory. You'll see my face. You'll hear my voice. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've got you know a bunch of the videos I did for Forbes are on there. Um, and, and I think to just speak to, to the idea, and this is something I realized when I was sick, is, look, if, if, if you grow a tree really tall, and maybe that's like acquiring a lot of properties or getting a lot of clients or having a lot of revenue, but the tree hasn't had time to build the root system underneath the ground. 
then at the first earthquake or storm, that tree will fall over and be dead. Mm -hmm. So there is something incredibly precious. Respect the time. Be grateful for all the hours you got to put in to build that root system. And if you can get 100 properties and have all the passive income and have a property management company run it for you, then that's great. You know, let's just make sure you've got the roots that if the market corrects and goes down by 15%, you're not yeah. bankrupt, yeah. right? Yeah. So there's always, a, there's always a trade-off to everything. And so I think to really appreciate that journey, pursue mastery, pursue truth, pursue those two, and, and, and you'll be just astounded at how fast the, the other things come along, like money and like recognition. No oh, question about it. I love it. it. I love it. Recommended reading. These are never affiliate links, so I don't make money from this. So there's not an interior motive. But, but Robert Greene's Mastery was one of the first books I cracked open where I was like, damn, I'm just being selfish and wanting things too quick. Let me actually sit down and become a craftsman. And that changed my entire outlook on even 18-hour days. It actually became fairly fun because I knew I'm repping it out. And that's when yep. my growth exploded in, in what it is I do in my craft. Yep. So love it, love it, love it. I'll leave all the links below. Tim, we went way over time, and I so appreciate your time because, again, it's extremely valuable. So I appreciate your time, and, um, and we'll stay connected. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, and I look forward to having you in Austin at one of our private dinner parties. It's always a good time. Done. I'm in. Thanks, Tim. See ya. All right, so as always, I just want to finish off the episode with saying thank you for listening. These episodes are 100% free and they're dedicated to helping you build your coaching business because there are clients out there just waiting for you to reach them. They're waiting for you to give them a result. So do not give up on your dream and never give up on your business. Again, these episodes are 100% free. All I ask in return is that you give it a thumbs up, you give it a like, you give it a little bit of love in the comments or the reviews, and you share it with one or two coaches who you know could use help building their coaching businesses. That's it. I'm done. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.